Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Today we're going to feature Mr. Mike Adams from NaturalNews.com. Cutting edge news site. Offers a lot of great information about health, about nutrition. Offers a lot of information and stories that the mainstream media will never cover. We've been wanting him for a long time, so it's very exciting that we have him today. In the course of your journey of self-discovery and trying to find out what the truth is, you're probably going to bump heads with a lot of people, and you're going to be called crazy by people. And I want to assure you, please continue on that path. It's a natural part of the progression of self-discovery. If you're an American, you're probably going to be, probably get called conspiracy theorists or a bunch of other names. And keep in mind this, that that scorn is coming from a collective group of individuals that are number one in the world of obesity – they have the highest prescription drug rate in the world. They are the collective group of people that spend the most hours in front of television. So you should be very aware of the people who praise you and the people who chastise you. And either way, I suggest continue on your path of journey of self-discovery. In the course of the interview with Mr. Adams, we talk about vaccines, the futility of flu shots, and a ton of other tips and advice for you to improve your physical health. I'm really happy to bring this to your attention tonight. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show proudly presents an introspective interview with Mr. Mike Adams. Joining us now is Mike Adams. He's known as the Health Ranger. He's an outspoken consumer advocate, an award-winning investigative journalist. He's an activist. He's also a science lab director. You can learn more about him by going to two different websites, healthranger.com and naturalnews.com. Mr. Adams, Great honor to have you with us. Thank you for being with us on the show today, sir. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's great to join you today. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. And we were just talking previously that it was about four years ago you did an interview with Stuart Wilder, our teacher, about ayahuasca, and we got a tremendous response to that. And just curious, but how did your career start? When did you start to become intrigued by the benefits of natural medicine and uh, not going with what the pharmaceutical companies were talking about as far as what they thought were normal cures to common ailments? Well, I've always been a, a curious person to go beyond the status quo, right? And my background is actually in technology and software, but by the age of around 30, I was, I was very unhealthy. I was overweight and nearly obese, uh, borderline type 2 diabetic at that point, uh, suffering a lot, uh, you know, at a young age, which, which seems crazy. So I, I started to look into why. Why is this happening to me? And that got me into looking at diet and nutrition. you got to remember back, you know, Back even in the in the 1980s, uh, the idea that your food affected your health was considered a kooky conspiracy theory. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and anybody who said there's such a thing as an anti-cancer food was immediately called an anti-science quack. So wow. things have changed dramatically. Now we know food creates your your physical body, and there are even energetic qualities to food that alter your your mind, your consciousness, your, your energies, right? And now we know that you can prevent disease. But for me, it was a, it was a journey of discovery that uh, I, I didn't really get a lot of outside help. It was a very personal journey. And now it has led to a really outstanding health and just sharing, opening doors for a lot of people to explore that journey in their own lives. So that's really what I do today. Did you ever have any kind of traumatic moment or a shift in consciousness that provoked you that really forced you to take this seriously or to increase your efforts dramatically? Well, sure. There was a there was a moment where I just realized I can't go on like this. You know, I I can't be obese and diabetic 
at this young age, and this is not the life that I had envisioned. You know, this is not the life that was described even by uh, adults, older adults, you know, who had lived longer. And I started to look at people who were who were having success, and, and there was um, an older friend I knew who, even in his 70s, he was cycling and he was lifting weights and he was very healthy and he was playing the piano and doing music, and he really became one of the many uh, uh, inspirations, kind of models for me uh, to, to realize you can, you can be 75 years old, you can be in your 80s, you can still be healthy, you can still be very, very sharp cognitively, that this whole narrative of physical and mental decline being a normal, natural thing, it's nonsense. You're actually supposed to get sharper as you get older, and you can get healthier too. There's no reason to, to, to suffer Alzheimer's and dementia if you take care of your health. So that's a lot of what I do now. I talk about contaminants in food. I talk about pesticides, heavy metals, uh, environmental contaminants, um, try to help people live a cleaner life, really to protect their brain and to protect their body so that they can actually go on and do the things that their spirit wants them to do in this life. That's what it's really all about. Okay, and what would you say would be the three most powerful foods that could have the, the greatest impact on your health. If people were to take up these three foods, eat them on a daily basis, what would have the most dramatic change? Well, that's interesting. Turmeric would certainly be at the top of my list. Okay. Uh, turmeric, this, this powerful root, it is amazing. I grow turmeric. I have a whole garden bed full of turmeric that I actually uh, dig up and I blend it into my smoothies. It is so, there's so many beneficial properties to turmeric in terms of protecting the brain, uh, reducing inflammation, uh, prevent, I mean, turmeric has anti-cancer molecules in it called curcuminoids, uh, so that's very, very powerful. Um, in terms of other superfoods, you know, you need a healthy fat source in your in your diet. I like avocados. A lot of people like flax seeds or chia seeds, but for me, I, I drink I drink a blended avocado every day. So that's been key for me. But some people use eggs, which is fine, too, if you raise them yourself, because free-range eggs contain really healthy, saturated fats that your body needs, too. You need some of that, you know. It can't, can't all be omega-3s. You have to have actually kind of a, a, a balance of your fats. And the great thing about eggs is they, they contain sulfur compounds, which boost your body's ability to remove toxic elements. Sulfur accelerates your body's uh, natural detoxification processes. And, you know, when you say, you know, what, what are the three best foods to take in, that's important. But we should also think about what are the foods to avoid. Yeah, that was my next question, actually. Okay, so great. Would... <laughs> well, answering that question is it's a bit complex, but I'll, let me simplify it. Don't trust anything from a corporate food producer. It's really more about where you get your food. Because I've done the testing in my laboratory. You know, I'm the lab science director uh, of an internationally accredited laboratory. We test for pesticides uh, and heavy metals and all kinds of contaminants in foods. And what I found is that the origin of your food is what matters most. And frankly, it, can, it comes down to distance from you. The closer you, you get your food to your kitchen, the cleaner it is. It, just as a rule of thumb, it's a very powerful rule of thumb that not a lot of people know about. And I'm, and I'm talking about this scientifically. If you look at foods that come from far away, especially places like China, they tend to be very heavily polluted and contaminated. If you get foods that you grow yourself, you sprout them in your own kitchen, you grow them in your garden, or you get them from a local 
a CSA, a farmer's market, a food co-op, they're going to be the cleanest by far, uh, you know, unless they've been intentionally sprayed with pesticides, but I'm talking about, you know, organically produced local produce. So even if you buy food from the United States, you know, rice from California, rice from Texas is way cleaner than rice from China. And this is just a, a, a true almost to a T across the board. So avoid foods that come from far away. That's the rule. Okay. You know, I'm curious, in the course of your experience in you know, testing food in your lab, have you ever come across any kind of correlation between food that comes from factory farming where they really inflict a lot of pain and suffering on the animals? Does that actually have a substantial impact and, or have an impact in any way, shape, or form on the level of toxicity of that food because of the pain and suffering that the animal has suffered? Keep in mind that today's scientific instruments cannot yet detect and quantitate bioenergy fields. Okay. Now, I believe that science will eventually be able to do that because, remember, there was a time before the microscope and nobody believed that there were bacteria or viruses. Well, the microscope came along, suddenly they could see all these things. Today, a lot of mainstream science thinks there's no such thing as consciousness or auras or bioenergy fields or anything. It's just because they can't measure them yet. They don't have the instrumentation. One day that will exist. I think one day we will be able to measure, for example, the homeopathic properties of different types of water. One day we'll be able to measure the, the energy that goes into meat that is produced through cruelty and hatred or fear and anger. Uh, I, I believe that, but I can't yet measure it. So, Good. you know, as a, as a scientist, uh, I don't have instrumentation that, that works for that. But I think, I think there's a truth to it. And there are two aspects or two articles of subject matter in your site that I thought you've done an incredible job on among many is that you've really talked about the vaccinations. You've really talked about the flu shot. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, you're crazy if you don't get your kids vaccinated. You're crazy if you don't get the flu shot. And yet all scientific articles that you've shown on your site basically said that, no, that's completely the exact opposite. Can you please explain to somebody who doesn't have any idea why the flu shot can be dangerous or why vaccines can be dangerous? as to why that's not correct? Absolutely. And this is really easy to explain. In fact, the whole, the whole uh, flu shot propaganda sort of brainwashing campaign is nothing more than a mass psychosis. Um, in, in truth, here, here are a couple of things you need to understand. Uh, human beings have been around for a very long time on this planet. You know, you've got thousands of generations of ancestors who lived and thrived and reproduced and survived without vaccines. Vaccines have only been around, you know, a couple hundred years at the most. How did they do that? Well, it turns out that almost 25% of your genetic code is pre-programmed with this amazing nanotechnology. It's the most advanced technology in the world. And it's technology that identifies invading microorganisms and builds your own immunity automatically without any effort on your part. The truth is human beings self-immunize constantly, all the time. And as proof of this, I'm talking to you on the phone. I have not been vaccinated in maybe 20 years. If, if I could not self-immunize, I would be dead, right? And we wouldn't be talking. So how do I survive without vaccines? The same way all our ancestors did. So vaccines, just from a, um, even an evolutionary or uh, an epidemiological point of view are, are not necessary for immunization. In fact, it turns out that self-immunization is far more powerful and potent than uh, uh, an intervention vaccine, which uses weakened viruses. So they don't give the full response 
that self-immunization gives. In other words, if I'm exposed to chicken pox or measles and I'm, I'm healthy and I have you know, good vitamin D and good nutrition, I'm going to actually not only survive that, I may even be symptomless. I may never even show any symptom. And my, my antibodies and my immune system are going to be even stronger than someone who is vaccinated. So that's one thing. But the second thing that's really <laughs> fascinating, flu shots are, are manufactured using strains from the previous year. Yet the strains, the viral strains, mutate every year, and so they're different this year than last year. But if you're getting vaccinated this year, you're getting vaccinated against last year's flu strains. So uh, I'm fond of saying flu shots are great if you're a time traveler. So if, <laughs> you, if you have a time machine and you want to go back to last year, they could actually offer you some level of protection, around 1%. They, do about, they, they reduce flu infections at about 1%. Uh, that's the best-case scenario that you're going to get. So they're useless in 99% of the people. Uh, but they're also useless in the present in the present day because they're last year's strains. And if you actually go to if you look at flu vaccine insert sheets and you read them, and I've done this and I've published articles about this, they say right on the sheet, this has never been tested for efficacy. There is no evidence. There's no scientific evidence. You know, no clinical trials to show that this works. It's written right on the insert sheets. So uh, people taking flu shots are really they're not getting any benefit, but they are getting the risks of exposure and guess what mercury is still used in flu shots mercury is a nerve toxin it damages your brain every time you're injected with a flu shot containing mercury which is in the form of thimerosal a preservative element a preservative chemical uh, you are performing a mini lobotomy on your brain so you'll notice that people who take a lot of flu shots typically are not that bright they, they really don't perform well cognitively over time because they keep damaging themselves Meanwhile, people who avoid all vaccines, you know, like a lot of your listeners, like myself, a lot of my fans, we are sharp. Even as we age, we get sharper. You know, we, we're able to learn and remember things, learn languages, you name it, because we avoid the mercury in the vaccines. What do you think is worse for your brain, TV that's put, put on and put out by the, uh, the mainstream, or do you think that the flu shots could actually be more damaging? Well, they operate actually... different levels. A, a flu shot actually damages the neural connections across your entire brain, uh, whereas TV is poison in the psyche. It is, it is programming of beliefs. That's where it is poison. So you know how you have a physical body, which operates on physicality and chemistry and biology, and then you, know, you have a mental body. You have your psyche, your consciousness, your id, and then you have a spiritual body, you know, your, your soul. Um, television damages your psyche, your 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 mental body, uh, vaccines damage your physical body. You know, I'm really intrigued by this. I mean, we live in an, the information age where everyone can have access to all this knowledge and information. Yet there's such a high degree of cognitive dissonance. And I'm curious, why do you think that so many people can't understand this? Because I don't think you really have to be highly intelligent to grasp the basic concepts of how the world is currently working. And I just don't understand, or maybe you can shed some light on this thing, why so many people in this information age can't perceive. What is a Fox reality and what is the real reality? Well, it, I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about this very question, so I'm glad you asked. And it comes down to something very simple. It is the intense desire for conformity to the herd. Uh, most people are born and grow up with an intense fear of rejection. And so they're willing to uh, cognitively discount actual evidence right in front of their eyes they will abandon that if it, is, if it wins them conformity to the herd. Uh, 
there are only very few people in society, maybe 5%, who really are able to go outside the herd mentality and have original thoughts or challenge the status quo. And by the way, throughout history, these people were people like Albert Einstein, you know, the great thinkers, the great breakthrough scientists, the, the great uh, medicine creators, you know, the, the founders of homeopathy and so on. These were the great thinkers who were not bound by this intense desire for conformity. But most of the population is so willing to conform that all it takes is one person accusing them of being a, quote, conspiracy theorist to make them completely change, abandon everything, and, and deny reality and just believe whatever they're told. And a great example of this, frankly, is uh, World Trade Center 7 building, you know, the third yep. building that collapsed in 9-11. <laughs> It, any any reasonable, logical person who understands the laws of physics will look at that building, and you must conclude this is a demolitions uh, uh, experiment, you know, a job. This, this has been brought down deliberately by carefully placed, calculated, engineered charges, explosive charges, to bring it down. Otherwise, it wouldn't fall like that. And yet, the entire mass of obedient sheeple will look at that, and they will literally say no a fire in a concrete office building caused that uh, that uh, amazingly symmetrical collapse. But it's nonsense. But they still believe it. So people's beliefs are, beliefs are very malleable, and they are controlled through social engineering. All right. Now, as far as the herd mentality goes, you're saying that people are trying to do whatever they can to conform and confirm. Do you think that the herd mentality, or right now, collectively speaking, not only in the U.S. but worldwide, is basically bound by fear? So whoever is basically controlling the fear or perpetuating the fear is the person who is kind of leading the herd, regardless if they want to or not. Is the herd focused on that, or are they more focused on hope? Where do you think the herd is currently going, or humanity is collectively moving towards? Well. In my, in my view, the, the, real, the globalist controllers are really focused on using fear, even though they use the language of hope. So when they're running for office, they use a, a false language of hope, uh, where they say, oh, we're going to make the world better for you. We're going to take care of you. This is the, the message, you know, big government message. We're going to take care of you. But behind the scenes, they will do things like release terrorists from prisons in America to put them on the streets to create a crisis or, you know, let – uh, actually use the Department of Justice to run guns illegally into the hands of Mexican drug gangs to cause gun violence so they can they can use that as a means of control. So I was talking about this actually just last night to a friend. I said, you know, if there were no governments in the world, there would be no war because the people don't want to fight with each other. The people have nothing to gain from mutually assured destruction. It is the governments that continue to invoke war and escalate war as a means to control their domestic populations. And this is right out of 1984. This is classic Orwellian uh, you know, uh, strategy. And it, and it works because people are so responsive to fear. Now, fear has a place when, when there is a legitimate threat out there. Fear has a, has a place, which is why, by the way, it's so excitatory to the cognitive system. Uh, because from, even from a survival point of view, the correct interpretation of fear could keep you alive. It's like, hey, get off your ass and run from that lion. You know, there it's going to save, save your life. But when it is artificially manipulated by globalists, that's when it becomes a real hazard to humanity. You know, I just thought came to mind. Do you think that the reason why people are perpetually in that state of fear could be because of the fact that it's actually a drug to them that 
because they're in fear, whether they want to admit it or not, actually releases some form of endorphins or releases some form of adrenaline rush that they can't get anywhere else. And for that reason, they tend to stay with it the same way a person continues to drink alcohol, knowing it's self-destructive, but yet they can't figure out a way to break out of it because it's so natural to them. It comes to, especially the generation of kids that were born late 90s, who all they've known is the war on terror the whole life. They don't, they don't know anything else. Well, that's an interesting theory. I, I, I've never experienced that myself. I, I despise experiencing fear. But I've noticed that a lot of people really love horror movies, and there's all the vampire themes and all the, the really scary imagery that's now all over Netflix and Amazon Prime and so on. So I guess some people are really turned on by it. You, you, you may have a very good point there. Right, well, like, in your question, like, who have been some of the people that have really inspired you to become a better person and to, I, I guess, take your, your projects and your work to a different level? What's some of the people that you really admire and why? Well... I got to tell you, I'm I'm a person of uh, I'm a student of many teachers. You know, I've read a lot of books, I've listened to a lot of lectures. I mean, even in, in back in the 1990s, I was, you know, really reading Deepak Chopra, believe it or not. Even though I'm not these days, I'm not fully uh, uh, supportive of everything he's doing. But um, you know, I I don't want to name the personal people in my life, but there were certain people. I mentioned one who was in his 70s, who was who was an inspiration. I've 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 had the benefit of being around a lot of really, really bright people. Uh, when I was young, um, my family uh, interacted with a lot of a lot of r real geniuses, just amazing people, uh, artists. Uh, one was a physician. One was an inventor, uh, kind of a, a, a electronics inventor. Um, I've, I've been around amazing people. My own father was a, a computer programmer. Uh, in the very very early days of computer programming, and he was he was quite brilliant in that area. My my mom taught me gardening and permaculture and respect for life, and we would we would rescue birds that were injured, you know, and nurse them back to life and things like that. So I can't name one or two or three people. It's been a really a large number of people, but a lot of it comes back to really discovering who you are internally through the trials and tribulations. You know, you 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 arrive at cross points crossroads in your life where you have to make a decision, you know, am I going to be ethical and true to my mission or am I going to uh, stray off of that path and compromise for profit? You know, you, you, you are making those decisions really every single day, especially in what I do with Natural News. And I have been uh, challenged and uh, they've brought temptation to me so many times. I was offered a couple years ago, I was offered $10 million to sell Natural News to a oh. medical supply company. And uh, I said, well, what would you even use it for? And they said, we're going to use, we're going to sell diabetic supplies to people. Well, like, you know what? That's just not my vision, man. And so. That's awesome. They stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when you go through this long enough, you come to realize that it's, it's really never about money. You need a certain amount of money to operate, but you're never willing to sell out for money because it's so much deeper than that. This is about spiritual accountability this is about achieving the purpose that you're that you're sent here to experience your life you know your soul has so much more long-term accountability and value than anything any material thing that you could ever experience in this world you know why would you compromise your very consciousness 
to sell out for some cash that frankly is probably going to be worthless in a few years anyway. So, you know, for me, so you, see, yeah. you see the collapse coming. You, you, you I see do. The, you think there's going to be, okay. So what's, what do you vision as the, um, the big collapse? So we've talked a lot about it. We've had uh, Salente on our show before we've, that we've really focused on how do you foresee it happening? Or is this something that can be prevented at this point? I don't think it can be prevented. I, okay. I, and I, I, I'm not convinced it's going to be sudden. It could be this ongoing erosion that we're already into. You know, it's underway. You know, we just saw the Brexit vote and, you know, the, the quantitative easing at some point is going to implode, as Salenti uh, accurately describes. It could be the slow erosion. It could be, it could be a, there could be a sudden trigger that accelerates the collapse that's already underway. That's what I think is the most likely scenario, a trigger event. And, and I'm going to make a prediction here. I believe that if it looks like Donald Trump is about to win this election in November, I think that the globalists will initiate a massive false flag trigger event, possibly on a radiological scale, you know, like a dirty bomb or the radiological poisoning of a city's water supply or something like that, something big in order to disrupt that. And that's, that's, that's not an endorsement of, of Trump or Clinton or anybody. It's just saying that that's the way the globalists will try to react to maintain control. Because remember, they use fear. And 9-11 was so effective for them to allow that to happen. It was so effective. You know, the, it burned into the psyche of the, the American mind, all of this fear. Everybody gave up their rights, and they passed the Patriot Act, and massive surveillance that's now, that's now you know, uh, endemic in our society. What could they do with a nuke? You know, if you think about that, uh, and you don't have to put a lot of fear into it. You just have to say, this is the reality of the evil of the people who run our world. Could they use a nuke? to maintain power? And the answer is, unfortunately, yes. This doesn't be on him. Mike, this is going to be a, maybe a two- or three-part question, but you know, as we're talking, I find it very, I don't know, disheartening to think that people are willing to lie to themselves. They're willing to put the, the concerted effort to lie to themselves rather than face reality. I don't know why they're willing to do that if the conformity, the pressure to conform is that great, but what is the immediate benefit of anyone listening right now to take on the truth and discover the truth about themselves? Can a person who discovers the truth about themselves awakens to reality and start being productive? How many people can that person affect? Can an awakened consciousness affect more people than a fear-based consciousness? Well, absolutely. The, the only way the world gets changed is through people who, who engage in that, that awakening, that expansion of consciousness. And here's this is a very powerful principle that I want to share with you here. And by the way, I don't know how much time you have slated here, but uh, I'm sure. good for the whole hour if you need me. Oh, I'd love to have you. Sure. Okay, yeah, let's, let's just continue then. But there's a very powerful principle, and this is described in uh, Rupert Sheldrake's amazing book, uh, which talks about the 10, you know, the 10, I forget the exact title, but Science Set Free, I think is one of the titles, the 10 things that are wrong with current scientific understanding. And it is simply this, that even, it, it's really, it's the hundredth monkey concept. When, even a small number of people hold this conscious idea that it actually spreads. There's a critical mass. Once a certain number of people hold this idea, it spreads to the other conscious beings in the same population through a non-material means. In other words, it's not people teaching other people this information or even, even uh, posting a, you know, an article online. It actually spreads through a non-material means that is not understood yet by science. In other words, a kind of that is entirely passive and involuntary, but is measurable. 
And what this means is it, it only takes a small number of people to change the world. And it's, that's a very powerful principle to understand because it means you, you don't even have to have a website or a blog or even talk to people. If you start to expand your consciousness and practice greater awareness in your own life, you are having an impact on others automatically. Wow. And what do you foresee as what would it take for people, collectively speaking, to awaken on a massive scale to really take control of their lives? Because the way I, I, don't know, I see the world is I think that people aren't really embracing critical thinking. I feel that the more you think critically and the more you present these ideas, the more scorn you get. And I feel like the trend's continuing. I feel people were much more engaged in critical thinking earlier in years. I just don't know why that's happening. But what do you think it would take in order for people to collectively I don't know, seize the moment and to once again embrace intellectualism? Well, really, <laughs> okay, two, two things. That's a great question. Um, yeah. On the positive side, something, some big revelation, like an alien civilization arriving on Earth and saying, okay, we've been watching you, and uh, here's what you need to do. Or uh, a divine being, you know, showing up. Hey, <laughs> it's the second coming of Christ, or you know, what have you. Uh, it's, the, it's the Buddha version, too. You know, something big, that's, that's the positive side. But I think a more, far more likely explanation is a, an actual collapse of current human civilization uh, through which there is an eventual awakening and rebirth. Now, I talk about collapse quite a bit, but I'm actually a long-term optimist. I believe humanity will survive. I believe humanity will grow and expand its understanding and is infinitely innovative and creative. But I believe that modern humanity has been disconnected from who we are. The disconnect happens through television, through media programming, through vaccines and flu shots. It happens through the fluoride in the water, uh, the chemtrails. It, there is a mass poisoning that has been taking place, and I can prove it scientifically, and I've done so you know, in my book. I've got a new book coming out, Food Forensics. It documents the heavy metals in the food, so I can prove this scientifically. What, what that means is that we are now living among a population of people who have been chemically and, and mentally damaged. And so they are unable to make, make you know, to, to, to follow that path of awakening that they need to, to move, move humanity forward. And I think they're stuck in that system, and I don't think they're going to change until something dramatic happens. That's, that's my take on it. Mike, you've talked a lot about on your site about the medicinal benefits of marijuana. Yet when you look at your bio, it says that you've never tried marijuana or you haven't tried alcohol or um, a lot of these other drugs. I'm curious – would you ever consider trying marijuana if it becomes more acceptable, more mainstream acceptable? Well, it's interesting. I, I actually do take a liquid CBD supplement. So uh, I've never smoked marijuana. I'm not, I'm not into recreational drugs. Um, but I, I do want to uh, experience the medicinal benefits of them. So my focus, even in the lab, is on testing the CBD content, uh, not – and. Uh, I can't even legally handle THC content drugs at the moment because of the laws, but uh, I would like to be able to help help legalize medicinal marijuana of, of the whole plant. And uh, if that were the case, then sure, I would try a THC CBD liquid supplement. Uh, absolutely, I, I would try that, but I'm just not into recreational drug use. Okay. Uh, right now in the uh, U.S. alone, there seems to be a big push to legalize marijuana. Do you think that if people are engaging in it, It'll give them more opportunities to think freely, or do you think that it, that could actually have a reverse effect and keep people more, I guess, 
intrigued or locked into that matrix type thinking where they're not thinking for themselves? Both. I, I think really? it's going to be both. Uh, there, there's no question that, that people who abuse uh, marijuana or really any drug create a, a prison for themselves. But, of course, they can abuse opioids, you know, prescription drugs. That's way, a way bigger problem. They could abuse alcohol. They could abuse, you know, sex. They could be sex addicts. They could be porn addicts, whatever. There's lots of ways, you know, to, to get locked into uh, abuse. So, but I, I don't think that that's a reason not to legalize it. I, I, I believe in individual liberty. I think that individuals are responsible for their actions and that, that they should not have their freedoms and rights stripped away from them by some police state government that is totally incompetent and corrupt. So I fully support the complete legalization of marijuana. Uh, and I think we just need to tell people what you do with it is up to you and you deal with either the benefits or the consequences. It's your choice. You're an adult. That's my message. And as far as the – we talked earlier about the economic collapse, it seems to me – I wonder if there's going to – do you see a societal collapse in one way that you said that we have these people who are running things. They're very stupid if you want to call them that, and then you also have a collective society that's not even aware that their rights are being taken away. At what point does, do those two eventually collapse? I mean what is it going to take for people, I guess, to realize that they don't have the rights that the founding fathers once you know, fought for? When do you think people are going to realize that, and what, what do you think is actually taking so long for them to come to that conclusion? It's going to take something like a Holocaust. Okay. It's, going to take, it's going to take mass death and that, that, that people come to see as, as real. I mean, right now, most of the American people are in complete denial about what's going on. We have journalists in prison right now in America, American journalists sitting in prison. That's happening. No one's talking about it. You know, the mainstream media simply won't talk about the things they don't want you to know about. And we've also got, right now, the CDC, this just came out. You know, they've got massive warehouses where they've stockpiled billions of dollars worth of emergency medical supplies in expectation of a widespread pandemic. The, the EPA just raised the radiation limits of drinking water by 3,000 times in anticipation of a massive radiological attack on the United States. The media is not really talking about these potential attacks or collapses or pandemics. So, you know, most people just don't know any of this is happening until it hits them. And that's when that's when the big wake up happens. Okay. Why do you think that it's going this direction? I mean, I, I always kind of wonder, like, what is the basis of foundation for tyranny, not only in the U.S., but worldwide? Wouldn't it be easier for those people that really want to stay in power to keep the population, I guess, relatively happier and more, more healthy? Because if they're healthier and they're happier, then they can be more productive and run the machines better. I just don't understand why there's this great need to suppress the people so much. Like, why is there such this desire? Is there any way that they can do it? Is this the only way that they've known how to do it? Well, remember, you're asking that from the point of view of an awakened, conscious person. Most people have never achieved that. Um, most people are really only interested in two things, uh, escaping pain and achieving comfort. And so, you know, they're going to get Happy Meals at McDonald's. <laughs> you know, they're going to vote for whoever says they're going to give them the most free stuff. You, you have to realize that it is a gift to think the way you think. It, and it's a rare gift, and not everybody has it. Uh, most Most people who are living in this world are little more than you know, cognitively zombies. And some of them, they've been damaged by vaccines, they've been damaged by fluoride and so on. Uh, others, it's almost like their their soul never really made it into their body. You know, it's like they're not really there. Nobody's <laughs> home. Uh, but seriously, there's, even at a spiritual level, there's there's a lot going on. Maybe we need to do another show on this sometime, but there there are 
truly destructive, evil, almost demonic entities that exist uh, on this planet that that exist inside you know some people, and then there are sort of the neutral walking dead zombies, which is the masses, and then there's a few enlightened, awakened people who are actively trying to uh, quite literally save the future of humanity. This is this is the playing field that we're in now, and if you if you read the books of people who've had life after death experiences, like um, uh, Eben Alexander, a surgeon who died uh, for an extended period of time, came back, he said that what what the divine showed him in the afterlife is that most of the universe is, is truly love and that this earth realm is the single most uh, co highest concentration of evil entities that exists anywhere in the cosmos. And it's a testing ground. That's what he said. Yeah. We, we actually had him on our show. He's amazing. Oh, you he's did. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. He was, he was amazing. And um, we just have time for a, two more questions. What is your, Faith? Do you have? Are you a religious person? Are you a spiritual person? What is your perspective on um, you know where we are, where we're going, where what, where your place is in the universe? Well, I I believe in the the infinite uh, uh, existence of consciousness, and I believe in the divine. But I'm not a member of any particular organized religious uh, group. But I, I'm very very well versed on spiritual uh, philosophy, and I make it a part of my daily practice. Uh, so. You know, I'm a very spiritual person, but I also know that in this realm, on this planet, we are operating in a physical and biological and chemical realm that interfaces with our spiritual self. So uh, we, we have to be careful not to get lost in just focusing on the spirituality, but remember that we are here in this physical plane, and we have to deal with our bodies, our health, our fitness, our minds, our brain, our diet. These things impact our ability to express our divine self through our, our physical existence. Okay. And another question I have for you, Mike, is how do you want people to remember you? Actually, it's a two-part question. <laughs> how do you want people to remember you, and what is the one quote that you feel it's great that everyone should live by? Well, let me answer your first question first. I, I, it doesn't matter to me if anybody remembers me. I'm, I'm not living this life for everybody else. Um, I, I'm, I'm living this life to fulfill a spiritual purpose that is the, the, the protection of life. How people judge those actions is irrelevant. And that's a sense of great spiritual freedom, by the way. And that's, that's, what, that's why I'm able to do what I do. That's what I live by. I don't answer to the people that live in this world. I answer to a higher spiritual calling. So my mission is the defense of life. I will help people, but I don't help people in expectation of them thanking me for it. Because that, that is a disastrous cycle of, of dependence, if you will, because you, you're never going to get the thanks. You think, you think the great spiritual leaders of history, you think they got a bunch of thanks? No, I mean, look at Gandhi. He was threatened to death, you know? I mean, nail people to the cross, whatever. You, you cannot have an expectation that people are going to remember you or thank you, and thankfully it doesn't matter because your soul is eternal, your actions are eternal, your spirit is what counts, and that's what lives on. So that's the big answer there. As far as a quote, I don't know. I, I don't really have a good relevant quote right now. <laughs> well, there are plenty of quotes and wisdom. We can learn more about you. Mike Adams, I want to thank you so much. It was a really great honor to have you on. And to learn more about Mr. Mike Adams, please go to his website, two different websites, naturalnews.com and healthranger.com. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much, Mike. Joining us now is the queen of the universe, internationally <laughs> respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. 
We can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor, get a read of Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at CarrieO'Connor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about your analysis on Mr. Mike Adams? Mike Adams pulled me, Ryan, instantly right to his brain. And in the midline of the brain, right where the right side and the um, left side separate, it looks like he has a gold band there. So I instantly knew that he was um, very balanced in the right and left side of the brain. I mean, I've never seen more of, of an individual that has access to the right and to the left side of the brain. Highly evolved soul. I mean, this guy was a musician at 12, and then he also does the scientific part where he was given um, the um, MIT, offered him a scholarship. So fascinating. Then I saw in his front fibers, and so that's when you look in somebody's energy field where we put our hopes, dreams, and desires. In most people, we want our arms energetically open wide, and then it goes off the chakras. These energy tubes go off the chakras, and the more they're strengthened, the more the person can create more of their hopes, dreams, and desires instead of their worst fears and nightmares. He's a manifester. I've never seen anybody with like laser beam sharp energy going off the front fibers and into making things happen, hopes, dreams, and desires. And he's just a like a sponge with knowledge, again, of both sides, of, of music he could take down. He just like, downloads it and then scientific uh, information. And he's here to be the advocate, obviously. He's a, he's a big speaker of against GMOs, vaccinations, all that. He's not afraid to stand up in the um, forefront and face um, comp- you know, competition. I love that he has a lab and he has scientific background to back it up. And he doesn't back down. He just like lo- looks over the head of any naysayer and he just keeps on trucking. Awesome. And do you sense or pick up anything about any previous life incarnations that he may have had? I saw a lot of Greek energy around him and Plato's around him but during that time. And then it looked like that Plato, he, he was an overlay on his energy scale. First, I thought I was looking at him, but there was a strong connection, say, energetically to Greek, Greek times when the knowledge was there and people um, were very right and left-brained. So that's, that's a strong connection that he um, pulls from um, a lot in this lifetime. Okay. And as far as what he's trying to accomplish in this particular life incarnation, are there any particular types of individuals that he could be making associations or connections with that could further facilitate and help him achieve his goals? You know what? He's a manifester. Like I said, when I look at his heart energy, it looks like a magnet. That's, um, the, the ends of the magnet are sticking out so that somebody that magnetizes the right place at the right time. Uh, will bring the right people for him, and he flows with it. He knows with it. He lives in like a constant flow of of working with creator, creative energy. So he'll pull the person in, and what's great about him with the ability of flipping to the right and left side of the brain, he can like dissect very, very quickly what the person, he draw out what the person needs, like the journalist in him. So if he wants to, um, he can like pick somebody's brain and they don't even know he's doing it. And he brings out the information and he digests it and then he downloads it. And so he's just in a constant downloading mode. So he brings the people with him. I mean, the people come to him. Right place, right time is what I see it. And I also notice he's very, very private as far as I said. He doesn't do a lot of social media and stuff like that. People with his kind of energy field, he's got a lot of rainbow energy in his energy field, a lot of geometric figures. And whenever I see Archangel Metatron around, Metatron's known as the scribe. As he who sat on the right hand side of God and was known as the only angel that had a human incarnation. And also, though, he has that, again, that science part, the writer in the science with the sacred geometry. And so he really works with a lot of sacred geometry or he gets to the blueprints of 
food of, of what the earth's going on in the earth right now. And by being really private, it allows him to um, rejuvenate himself. If he was out a lot in the um, the social scene, I could just see it frying him out because that's his energy still needs to have quiet and um, be around earth so he could um, keep that high running energy. You could say that he's running a wattage of a million, and most people aren't even doing a hundred. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Not kidding. Miss Carrie O'Connor, the Queen of the Universe and internationally respected psychic medium. Thank you so much for your great analysis. I'm Mr. Mike Adams. To learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and to get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always my pleasure. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, well, with a respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa Casa. We can learn more about Miss Lisa Casa. And get a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, what can you tell us about your analysis of Mr. Mike Adams? One of the first things, well, right off the bat, I was hit with is that he was—he is, I should say, a, a very old spirit. So he's been on this earth many, many lifetimes. And what I found is interesting is that a lot of his life, well, I can't say a lot, but I'll say at least three different past lives he was native american shaman and medicine man okay and now this i feel is it explains a, a quite possible well it isn't it, it, it is possible a very strong connection to nature and mother earth and the way that um you know i have some native blood in me too and you know we do like the truth uh, we're very straightforward we tell it the way we see it and that's just it, that's it, that's all, it's what you see is what you get, and that's basically who Mike is. Um, I, I didn't pick up the eras of the different lifetimes, um, but like, cause like I said, there were three different ones. That I do believe one was definitely early 1800s, but then there were two other ones that I feel going back between 1700 and 1800, uh, one of which he was definitely Cherokee. Um, now, I, I do feel like as I started to tune into his energy more in, in the current days, um, I feel that a very strong sincerity about ca caring about others. He's extremely passionate about awakening people to the truth, and it doesn't seem to matter whether what, what, the, what the topic is, whether it's spiritual concepts or the government or, you know, even getting all of us back to our own roots, roots which is that of nature and of being natural and the way that things are supposed to be. And again, he comes across very straightforward and from the heart, doesn't beat around the bush about anything, and again, tells it the way he sees it. And I delving deeper, I definitely picked up quite the quirky sense of humor. And I like that because, and while well, he knows it, it's, he uses it to get his messages across much more easily and so, you know, doing it that way, too, that he, whatever messages that he does have to put out there, they're much more readily accepted and, most importantly, remembered. Now, the next thing was I was picking up uh, animal totems this time around. Now, the first animal totem, uh, and uh, one of my favorite little, little birds, is a, it's a chickadee. And the chickadees, represent, you know, perceiving more clearly and understanding higher truths. It's, it's a bird of truth. And they, you know, always tell the truth no matter how much it hurts. But uh, the lesson with the chickadee medicine 
is to express truth in a manner that heals, balances, and opens the perceptions gently. Um, now, this here, I feel, somewhat uh, goes head-to-head with his second animal totem, which I feel is that of the coyote. Now, a coyote is a teacher of hidden wisdom with a sense of humor. That's, that's Mike Adams through and through. And for a lot of people that know their animal totems, well, the, the coyote often symbolizes the trickster or the jokester. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. However, its, its symbolism associated with revealing truth behind illusion and chaos and to be aware of the dark side of things and to play on your resources. Now, what I feel like the, the, the coyote and the chickadee going, you know, a little bit head to head, um, like they, they're both about truth, but chickadee is much more gentle in nature as compared to the, the coyote. And I feel that Mike, he will go to whatever length he possibly can to get the truth out there. So I don't know like his, his history truly, like factually, but I do feel that perhaps some things that he said or done may, might have caused a little bit of controversy about him. But it's, it's just, he's telling the truth, but he'll just, he just won't stop at anything to get his messages out there. He'll do whatever the hell it takes, because that's how passionate he is. So that's, you know, that's, that's the coyote coming through. So he does need to learn a little bit more of the chickadee medicine to come through, you know, in a manner, like I said, that's uh, a little bit more balanced and one that's more healing in nature as opposed to literally in your face and doing whatever you possibly can, even if that means stepping on someone's toes in order to do it or doing something a little bit unethical to get your message across, you know, that kind of thing. Cause that's where coyote tends to, tends to come in a little bit, being that little bit of a trickster or jokester too. I think it's pretty interesting that you said that we both share the same animal totem, and it was kind of interesting because before the interview, I was like, you know, Mike, i got to tell you something. I said, I don't know what it is, but I cannot stand that goddamn roadrunner. He's like, they irritate the crap out of me. I go, I don't know why. Now we know. Now, awesome. now you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, coming back to um, you know, being serious for a second, um, the coyote, is that something, what are some other definable qualities people have a particular animal totem? Is that something, is that a rare animal totem? Is that a common animal totem? What other qualities uh, can we expect from people who have that animal totem? Oh, it is actually a quite common, okay. quite common uh, um, totem. And the, But the main thing is their sense of humor and their, where, their way about doing things. Um, of course, there's the trickster jokester that just loves playing practical jokes, which uh, I don't like to point fingers, Ryan, but <laughs> <laughs> but case in point. <laughs> but there's also, you know, the you know the more um, covert kind of jokester or trickster, like for that I had given the example of, you know, trying to. Um, Oh, what's an example I can use? It's like you know, like with 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 Mike, you know, he's wanting to get his messages out, and he's so damn passionate about getting those messages of truth out. He'll do anything to do it, even if that means putting himself on the line in some way, whether it's unethically, um, or you know, oh, here's a good one. 
uh, it's not really being a prankster, jokester, trickster, but for example only, um, like writing, like an author using a pen name for whatever reason, like different things like that. Um, but the the main one for the coyote is, of course, the trickster and, and jokester, um, and also extremely resourceful in whatever they do, whether it's, well, look at you. I, I'm going to use you again as an example. Look at how resourceful you are with all of your contacts and the work that you do professionally. Uh, it's it's almost the sky's the limit. Passion, you know, just we just want to put together a um, they, uh, the people who are listening that deserve the the best show possible. Um, we'll do anything. I mean, you too, we'll do anything we can to deliver them the highest quality show because um, because the person listening right now, you deserve you deserve it. Well, guess what? There you go. <laughs> My case has been illustrated right there about the coyote. But, uh, you know, again, like I think that maybe, like, again, you do share uh, Mike's animal totems because I do see Chickadee in you as well. Like, there's, you do have a more gentle side to you and more balanced side as well. So, uh, don't, 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 let don't, 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 you know, people are going to start asking me for Hallmark cards and I don't do Hallmark cards. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well. Well, hopefully they won't listen to that part then. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, another question for you about Mr. Mike Adams. Is that uh, Do you see anything right now throughout the course of his life that is very challenging for him? Is there one big challenge that he is, or one big accomplishment that he's trying very hard to do that he's uh, falling short on or he believes that he's falling short on? Uh, again, I'm getting led right back to what I just said about how you know he is so passionate about getting these, you know, truth messages out there, doesn't matter what they are, you know, he's he he he'll stop at nothing to do it. Whether it's putting him, uh, putting his own life on the line, um, like even like I'm even seeing like borderline like getting in trouble with the law. Like I, I I see that as a huge potential. He's coming on like a bit too strongly, but more. Not not for the public, but more for his own sake. He's got to li- remember to take care of himself. Like it's it's good to, you know, be that passionate and get that word out. But he also needs to remember number one, and number one is always you, or him, or, or whoever I'm talking about at the time. It, he's number one, and he needs to remember his own um, needs, his own safety, his own balance. And I feel that you know him pushing things too hard to get the messages out there. He could, he is essentially putting his own en- his energy off balance. He's he's like I said earlier. He's he needs to learn to balance the chickadee energy with the coyote energy. He needs to be um, much a little bit more gentler on himself in the way that he goes about doing things. Okay. But um, the, Mi- uh, sorry. I was about to say uh, the last thing I had picked up is uh, I do get the sense that I'm going to have to look this up because he's very interesting. Um, I'm going. I was picking up that uh, like he's. Pro- I think he's written a number of books, um, which again I'm going to have to look up. But I see him as actually writing another book in the next two to three years, possibly two books. He's definitely not done. He's not going to quit until his end of days here. Uh, that's for darn sure. But I'm I'm feeling that at least one of the books that 
he could be working on it literally like as I speak. It's like imminent. It should be coming out. So I'm going to have to, again, look up and see if I can find things out here. Miss Lisa Kaza. I want to thank you so much. That was very thorough analysis on Mr. Mike Adams for revealing who Mike Adams' totems, animal totems were. To learn more about Miss Lisa Casa and to get a read with Miss Lisa Casa, please go to her website at lisacaza.com. Thank you so much, Miss Casa. Well, thank you, Ryan. Okay, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to Mr. Mike Adams from naturalnews.com. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Stellas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>